Today we'll be speaking with Amy Lampert, founder of Women's Worth. Uh, but I think what I don't see often enough is couples talking about money and how they make decisions. And if you've been married for a long time and you've done a certain dance around money or any issue, and then you decide to change that dance, one of you or the other is going to be out of lockstep. Uh, that can, you know, cause ripples. So I think talking about we do a workshop actually on on uh, how to talk about money. My name is Hindel Grossman, and I'm a divorce attorney with offices in Newton and Nantucket. Welcome to my podcast. Today we're welcoming Amy Lampert, who has over 25 years of experience in the wealth management industry. We're going to talk about money. In 1998, Amy founded the not-for-profit Women's Financial Network and continues today as the founding principal of Women's Worth, a company whose mission is to demystify the world of money and increase financial literacy among women and youth. She is a financial advisor currently at the Bullfinch Group located in Needham, and she facilitates workshops for men and women who anticipate divorce. Amy has written frequently as a consumer advocate for individual investors and was the author of a blog dedicated to her findings while mystery shopping in the offices of banks and brokerage offices. She has designed and delivered numerous financial literacy workshops for companies in the financial services industry, as well as at Women's Worth. She is an arbitrator for the Financial Industries Regulatory Authority, a dispute resolution division, and is president of the New England chapter of the Life Planning Network. She has been recognized as a five-star wealth manager in Boston Magazine for the last four years. Congratulations. Thank you. So Amy, let's talk about money today. Tell us first about Women's Worth and why you thought that was important. I, uh, I started Women's Worth, well, it's not like talking about my child, so I don't know how long we have, but I could go on forever. I started Women's Worth um, when I left uh, my employee on Wall Street, and I did it because I, had, I realized that uh, women thought um, very differently about money than men do. Um, the majority of advisors um, were and still are men, um, and the majority of clients were mostly men. Uh, and so I felt as though women were very underserved. I should also say that you teach what you most have to learn. And I, as a woman, despite uh, being employed by Wall Street for over 25 years, really felt that the type of information and advice I was looking for didn't exist. What kind of information was that? Well, um, I think I think women think more holistically, more comprehensively. I like to say that there was a uh, a vocab, a very sort of male speak vocabulary on Wall Street. You know, things like making a killing in the market, uh, banking on the market, bailing you out, being the answer to all of your financial needs. Uh, and I think that's I certainly I, I left by the way coincident with my becoming a mother, and um, you left Wall Street. I left Wall Street uh -huh. uh, about the same time, shortly after I became a parent, and um, my concern was security. And the, the nowhere uh, in the in the business models in which I worked, and which I observed, um, was security as an issue addressed. So you left Wall Street for security purposes. You didn't have enough no. security on Wall Street. <laughs> I had a lot of financial security on Wall Street. Uh -huh. um, the the um, the culture of Wall Street was not conducive to my life as a single mother. Ah, so it's a lifestyle too. Uh, completely lifestyle. It certainly wasn't a wise uh, 
financial choice uh, if you were looking at just the monetary concerns. Yeah, I'm like, people told me I had more guts than brains, but <laughs> what you don't do for your child, right? Well, we all have to make lifestyle decisions right. that suit us. It really turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Good. I'm glad it worked out well. So Woman's Worth was designed to help women. You were, became the kind of the translator for, for uh, financial issues for women so that you could inform women in a different language. Is that fair? I think that's that's a great. I, I would never have articulated it that way, but that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, there was a different, different um, jargon, different vocabulary. Um, we didn't. We talked about a lot in talking to women. What I found out is that their their concerns were not so much making a killing in the market, not transacting business, but um, you know what happens if my husband dies and he's the primary breadwinner. What happens to my kids if I'm the primary breadwinner and I can't work anymore? What happens if I get sick? How do I make sure my kids go to college? All of those concerns that can't always and only be answered by having the right asset allocation. So I know you represent men too, so I don't want to mm -hmm. make this conversation exclusively about women, but do you think in general women's goals are different than men's goals? It's not accumulation as much? It's no, I think I think uh, men, no, I think women love to accumulate um, wealth and to build wealth and, and preserve wealth. And they also have concerns about their family and security. I don't think it's an either or, mm -hmm. but I think that more men are either seduced by or convinced that the transactions involved in investing will answer all those questions. So how did you start teaching women about these, about your philosophies about money? So uh, the Women's Financial um, Institute was literally a, a, a group of women who came together on topics of interest and we held workshops and um, it sort of snowballed. Huh. Um, and uh, it evolved into people who attended the workshops wanted me to be their advisor. So that's when we, I, I started Women's Worth, which was a for-profit company, and started, I was a registered investment advisor um, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And uh, even though my background was in investments, um, my practice took on much more of a financial planning strategy. Uh-huh. So how does Women's Worth help women now? Well, Women's Worth helps um, uh, its clients, which, by the way, are not all women. Uh, it's we, we like to bill ourselves as well, we help women and the important people in their lives. Mm -hmm. So we we often work, um, most frequently work with couples, okay. um, and we help them by going through a comprehensive financial planning process. Um, What's involved? Well, um, let me give you a frame of reference. When you go to a traditional financial advisor that works at one of the big financial services firms. Generally, they help you with your investments. Um, most people have their life savings um, in their retirement plans, and they get help with how to manage that money. That is one uh, piece of a six-piece pie, which constitutes the six-legged stool of financial planning. The other five pieces are um, your cash flow and balance sheet health, uh, risk and protection planning, tax planning, retirement planning, estate and legacy planning, and all of those things together constitute a good financial plan. 
Most financial plans deal with each of these slices independently. Uh, my approach um, and the approach of the people at my firm integrate each of those pieces so that a decision in one silo um, is stress tested against the decisions in each of the other silos. So it's comprehensive, some people say holistic, uh, it's integrative financial planning. So all six pieces or all six legs of the stool are um, thoroughly, deeply, and comprehensively analyzed. Uh, with respect to each other. With respect to each other. And, and, and all against the background of somebody's life and aspirations and where they are in their work uh, life cycle and what they want to do for work. Uh, are they ready to stop working? Mm -hmm. uh, do they want to reinvent themselves? It's always against the background of one's circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking exactly. of circumstances, let's talk about divorcing circumstances. Mm -hmm. Do you have clients who are divorcing? Yeah, somehow I have become a magnet <laughs> for <laughs> sorry for lots of people. I, you know, when you when you I, I, I work with a, a lot of people who uh, are getting divorced, and then they send all their friends. So it seems to be somewhat of an epidemic. Although I'm sure that uh, I, I see an unfair share. Uh, I see a lot of people who really really feel as though they want to extricate themselves from their marriages, but don't know how because mostly because of the financial consequences because they're, they're nervous well they're nervous and the financial uh, the financial situations are you know complex uh -huh. I've, I've seen in the last month uh, I've seen three women um, all of whose husbands have are on the verge of or who are planning to declare bankruptcy uh -huh. and the it, it took all three women completely by surprise so They've come to you recently because their husbands have notified them that they're financially in, unstable or insecure, and they, the husbands have said, we, we may need to file bankruptcy, and the wives are panicked. So exactly. they've come to you. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So you're going to try, you're doing your best to make them feel a little more comfortable, I imagine, but under difficult financial circumstances. Well, you know, I, 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 what I tr try to advise people, men and women, is if you think that you may have to dissolve your marriage, it's a really good idea to put your financial ducks in a row. You know, it, it's, this is part of your question earlier about what we do with, with people at Women's Work. Um, it's sad, but it is true, certainly of women of our generation, and even unfortunately in the millennial generation, that women, or, or men, but one or the other of a couple either delegates or abdicates the work of money management. And so when something goes awry, uh, they're surprised because they didn't really delegate, they abdicated, right? When you delegate something, you check in to make sure it's being done well. And that's okay. But when you abdicate, you know, it's people don't want to be bothered or they feel overwhelmed or intimidated or they feel that they don't know the answers. And part of that's, I think, a problem that, that Wall Street has created, which is they keep the consumer in a one-down position so that they have all the answers. But um, Well, this division of labor issue is something I think about a lot because I see that when people right. come in for divorces, mm -hmm. that sometimes I'm representing the spouse that knows nothing right. about the finances. Right. And I understand there's often, very often, almost all the time, a division of labor between spouses, you know, and one knows about the finances and the other one doesn't. And the one who knows about the finances is the one who's making the investment decisions and knows where the accounts are, knows where money's being moved, knows how it's being spent, um, and they're both, 
they have the power in having that information, but they also have the blame if things go wrong. Yes, and just because somebody put their hand up to be the person who takes that on doesn't mean they were necessarily good at it. Right, they don't necessarily have any training. So if I had one message to any of our listeners, men or women, is if you are in a partnership where you are inclined to delegate the management of your financial destinies, don't. Don't delegate it unless you get a report from the person to whom you delegate it on a periodic basis, just the way a manager would if they delegated something. And certainly don't abdicate it. It will most certainly come back to bite you, even if your marriage stayed intact. But at the time of becoming a widower or a widower or an illness or at a time in your life when you definitely don't want to have to be learning this stuff for the first time, you should be involved. What we like to say at Women's Worth is we help people become masters of their own financial destinies. That's a great message. Really great message. And, you know, as we said, the people who are managing the household finances don't necessarily have any expertise at that. So both parties go down the tubes, like in this bankruptcy situation you mentioned, or the three bankruptcies um, clients that could come in recently. So what do you, what do you think about if someone's going to delegate, that they delegate responsibility for their financial management to a financial planner? Like yeah, I don't think you should ever... I, th I think... So, so we, there are do-it-yourselfers that do everything by themselves, whether within a couple or one or the other of them. There are delegators, and then there's hybrids, where you do some stuff yourself and you delegate others. For example, in a household, um, believe it or not, women most often deal with the budget, um, but not with the investments. So that may feel like a division of labor, but it really isn't. They're two discrete tasks. You mean you said budget? Do you mean actually creating a budget and no. monitoring spending, or you just mean paying the household bills? Monitor, yeah, paying paying bills, um, doing the bookkeeping, um, but not not building wealth. When I think about money management and wealth management, I really do think about building and preserving wealth. Um, saving. Saving is a huge, huge piece of that. The thing I would say to anybody is to be involved, whether it's with your partner, whether it's with your financial planner or advisor. If you don't take, and you don't have to be, there's no high math, there's no formulaic algorithms. You just need to add and subtract, multiply and divide, but you have to take some time to understand. You have to ask good questions. If you have not gotten comprehensible answers to the questions that you ask, then it is not your fault. It is the fault of the person answering your questions. They haven't so made themselves clear. You can't sit there and say, oh, I'll never understand this stuff. Oh, this stuff is too hard. No, it's not too hard. You deserve and should demand somebody who explains everything to you so that you can we we require our clients to recite back to us the reasons for every decision that they've made with yeah. our help yeah so you and bullfinch are very consumer oriented completely so that you want to make sure everyone understands what decisions they're making yep you Interesting. Do. so you you've represented quite a few people who are getting divorced and you've um, had clients who are thinking about getting divorced what what um, issues have you seen you think that people should know about and can, should think about financial mm -hmm. issues when they're getting divorced that sometimes get overlooked or are very important? Well, first, uh, the, the, sort of the, the getting the ducks in a row, you want to make sure you look at your credit 
both individually and as a couple. Some, believe it or not, there are still, it's hard to believe this, but there are still some members of couples that don't have their own credit, credit in their own name, and that's really important. I mean, you, it's hard to do that once you get divorced if you haven't had credit in your own name. All right, so let me stop you. When you mean look at your credit, do you mean get credit reports? Yes. Okay. Get credit reports. Um, look at the balances in all of your short-term credit accounts, credit card accounts. Um, how much debt does your family have? Because that debt may not be known to you, and you need to know that. Mm -hmm. And you need to know that when you're married, much less when you're thinking about dissolving mm -hmm. your marriage, but it becomes really important if you're thinking about dissolving a And marriage. harder to get that information. And very hard to get that information. Yeah. I think everybody should be looking at monthly statements or quarterly statements on a regular basis. It's if they're your assets or if they're your assets or assets that may be considered in a divorce, then you should know about them. And it's really hard to get those statements after you've separated. I think people, um, I guess the one word of warning I give people, because I, 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 this, this is our, the age of mediation, um, and there's some really good things about mediation, but I have to say that in the vast majority of cases, people start out with the best of intentions, they go to a mediator, and uh, either one of them is so clueless that they agree to everything, and unfortunately that's often the woman, um, or it blows up and they can't mediate and they end up having to have advocacy anyway. Um, I do really believe that each person entering into a divorce should have their own advocate. Mm -hmm. um, even if they mediate the bulk of the agreement, they do need their own advocate eventually, as you know. And by advocate, you mean a divorce attorney? I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do. Um, there's a, you, you may have heard of this. this um, there's been a... Um, the advent of the collaborative law model. I've heard about that. I and, am one, uh, in fact. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm collaboratively trained as well. And uh, you may know that the, the role of a collaborative, a, a neutral financial person um, is, is to be completely neutral. And I find it really difficult to be completely neutral. So I wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good role for me. And, and I, I do think people who enter into the collaborative law model have to be aware that they um, may not be getting financial advice that's in their best interest. It's always, you know, the splitting things, I don't mean literally down the middle, but I I'm just a big believer in if you're my client, you're going to get the best of my advice on your behalf. I understand. Um, so you're so a financial advocate. I am. I am. And I, I, I hear stories, for example, I can't tell you how many times uh, clients have come to see me who are divorced, who were married longer than 10 years, who are getting close to retirement, who don't have lots of um, resources, and who are unaware that they're entitled to their former spouse's Social Security benefit. They've never heard about that. It's inconceivable to me that an attorney would forget to tell a client that, but it happens all the time. It's a big issue. It's a huge issue. Yeah, it's good to know. So, so social social security access to social security benefits is an important. It's important thing for it's divorcing a, people to know about. It is. It's important for any spouse to know about because yeah. even if you're a non-working spouse, there are benefits that you're eligible for. So people don't know that either. But you should understand social security. It's hard. It's hard to navigate. Um, we do we do a lot of workshops on navigating social security, uh, both for people who are divorced, widowed, um, you know, and just. 
couples. That's important. It's it's a, it's really and the and the rules are forever changing. Yeah. Let's see. So credit. Um, make sure that you understand the value and the tax consequences of. Um, liquidating any or all of your assets, which might have to happen in a divorce. So it may f it may feel as though two assets are equal, a $100,000 stock portfolio and a $100,000 home. And yet, uh, when each of those are liquidated, the tax consequences on each may be significantly different. And that would mean that the net after-tax value of that asset is dramatically different. Those are overlooked all the time by attorneys. I think that uh, making sure now in the process of a divorce that if you are the recipient of child support or alimony, that that, that future cash flow needs to be protected. So because <laughs> I see a not insignificant incidence of the person who's supposed to pay either alimony or child support somehow becoming unable to do it. Oh. They either become ill or depressed or who knows. Unwilling. <laughs> unwilling and there needs to be some protection uh -huh. if you have if the support of your children depends on a um, breadwinner paying you and something happens to that breadwinner then you need to have money pour into your world to take care of that yeah. obligation how do you suggest that well life insurance is the is the is uh, the either disability insurance to protect against a loss of income yeah. or life and I think more and more I am seeing smart attorneys require that divorcing Spouses have life insurance on each other. Yeah, it's and that's, that's a good that, that's yeah, a good a security. Yes, but of course, then you need a death to get the benefits of that. That's true. Policy. That's true. Which is why I think disability insurance yeah. um, to protect income is is also yeah um, important. Yeah, there are good insurance products for those kinds yeah. of events. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what else are you seeing in divorcing? Couples well, that you, you think is important. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners know what a quadro, a qualified domestic relations order is, but I spend more time helping the recipient of a quadro logistically get their funds from the uh, relinquishing spouse's account. That's a nightmare. I don't know if it's a nightmare because in some cases the attorney hasn't filed them correctly. In some cases the relinquishing firm uh, is not... in anxious to give up the assets, uh, so, uh, it, but it's, it is, it, it's something that needs to be paid attention to. I think lawyers need to do a better job of understanding how not only getting the, the order, but also how to implement the order, because in some cases, the proceeds from this order are very important for yeah. somebody, Sometimes for the recipient. Yeah. the largest asset other exactly. than real estate. Yeah, this no. quadro, QDRO, is a qualified domestic relations order, as you said, um, and it's a mechanism to divide retirement assets, uh, and it requires documentation to the uh, institution that holds the retirement assets so that they can be divided between the two spouses. So it's a, it's a process uh, that that's, needs to be documented. The document, the quadro document needs to be approved by the institution that's sending the money to the, someone else, and then the judge needs to approve of this document too. So it's a multi-step process, and it's tricky. Because each institution seems to have their own language about how they want the quadro drafted. Yes, and there is an institution in the Boston area, which will remain nameless, but who um, charges an outrageous fee simply for the um, transfer of assets out of one account to another, even when the money, especially when the money isn't even going to remain at that firm. It's um, a penalty. For it's taking the money not, out of the you know, but it's more than a penalty. It's 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 usurious. The fees are oh, really? ridiculous. Yeah, um, 
But anyway, yes, the way you explain it is how I wish every attorney would explain it, which is why you are probably at the top of your profession. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that very much. All right, so we have uh, the other covered thing about some it, issues. Just one more thing about yeah? quadros that I think is really interesting. So sometimes um, the recipients of quadros need the assets to live on, right? So they're not going to stay in, in, in a retirement uh -huh. plan. So um, knowing the tax consequences and the net after tax, because the government must get there due, mm -hmm. but knowing those um, the details of that are also, I think, incumbent upon an attorney who is negotiating an equitable division of assets. Yeah. It's tough when you have to start living on retirement assets sooner than you expect, it's, right? It, it happens really sometimes. Yep. Yeah. You talked earlier about the cash flow. You talked about balance sheet, but it's, it seems like a lot of people in my divorce world don't have a really good understanding about how much is coming in and going out of a household. Is that what you meant when you talked about balance Absolutely. Sheet? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that uh, that's unique to divorcing couples. I think most, I would tell you that the majority of people who come to us for planning really don't have a sense of what comes in and what goes out. And the single biggest lever uh, in building wealth is your rate of savings. And people, um, you, you've, I'm sure you've seen this, not if not experienced it, I certainly did in my early years. Your expenses expand to accommodate your increase in income, right? You mean you spend more, you make more, make more money, you spend more. You make more money and you think, great, I'm, I'm going to go spend it all because mm -hmm. I have this, you know, this extra margin instead of thinking I'm going to spend a little more and I'm going to save some more. Uh -huh. And that's, re it's not the market that makes, um, you know, one or two or three percent more uh, in rate of return doesn't have anywhere near as much leverage as the savings rate throughout your working life. Uh, what do you suggest to clients about how much to save in a percentage wise? Yeah, so there's a, there's a rule around that. So if you're in your 20s, 12 to 15% of your adjusted gross. If you didn't do it in your 20s and you do it in your 30s, you're looking at 15 to 20 of your adjusted gross. If you didn't do it in your 30s <laughs> and you wait till your 40s, you're talking about higher and higher. And, and you, what typically happens is people don't think about it till they're it seems like when they turn 50, they start taking the choke. And, the, you know, it's just much harder. Yeah. And so, so you either do without later or you do without, I mean, we're not talking about really de depriving oneself. But it's, you know, not buying another, you know, 62-inch TV <laughs> just because you're 57 inches and big enough. Yeah. You know, that's, it's uh, that kind of, those decisions. And when you talk about savings, you're talking about into retirement plans or all, just all sources, all sources, retirement plus other sources of savings. Okay. But savings that you don't spend, uh -huh. not the little savings account that you use for travel. Uh -huh. A that savings account year. that's meant for wealth building. It's that's a wealth building account. So that the day that you decide voluntarily or it's decided for you involuntarily that you leave the workforce, you have stability and security. Yeah. How do you suggest people get best educated about financial management? Come to our workshops. Oh, really? <laughs> Why? We have them regularly, don't you? At we, do. we do. We yeah. do. Uh, we have a quarterly women's mastery series uh, where we talk about a lot of these sort of taking, being master of your own destiny. And we do a lot of retirement mastery series for people who are thinking about retiring, anticipate, or in retirement. Wonderful. Um, so... We're about to wrap up, but I want to ask you if you have any suggestions other than make sure you don't 
abdicate or delegate financial decisions here in a well, relationship. Think, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about divorce, but let's talk about good, healthy relationships and, and keeping relationships healthy because money is an issue in a lot of relationships. And whether it's money or money is a metaphor for something else, it seems like there's always a dance around money. You do f see couples actually where one is a saver and one is a spender, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, but I think what I don't see often enough is couples talking about money and how they make decisions. And if you've been married for a long time and you've done a certain dance around money or any issue, and then you decide to change that dance, one of you or the other is going to be out of lockstep. Uh, that can you know cause ripples. So I think talking about we do a workshop actually on on uh, how to talk about money. You do? We did. That's very interesting. Yeah. You were actually, I think, at our last I one. I was at a workshop recently. Yeah. It was wonderful. Thank a lot you. A of audience participation. Obviously, it's an issue everybody wants to learn about. That depends. Good. Um, so thank you for attending well, our for podcast today. I've learned a lot myself, and I think that you've imparted a lot of really interesting inside information about finances that will be important for our listeners. Thanks, Anne. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a confident and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. Thank you for listening.